This week on The Diary of a CEO, I've got one of the UK's most incredible, incredible CEOs joining me. This conversation epitomizes why I started this podcast. It has it all. A remarkable underdog success story, a brutally honest, lovable entrepreneur, heartbreaking sacrifices, and life lessons that only someone in his position could share with me. There was laughter, there was tears, and I walked away feeling deeply inspired with a new perspective on what matters the most in life. This week, I welcome to the Diary of a CEO, Alan Barrett, the CEO and founder of Grenade the world's fastest growing sports performance and weight management brand, but also one of the most exciting companies in the United Kingdom. Alan and his wife, Juliet, started the business with £27 in the bank account. And a few years later, the business was worth £72 million and counting. I'm obsessed with their products. And I'm not bullshitting you when I say this because he came on the podcast. I'm actually genuinely obsessed. I can't remember the last day I didn't have a grenade bar or a protein shake in the office. And when he came to my office, he saw 10 bottles of protein shake on my desk. I promise you he's not paying me to say this. Protein products always taste bland and powdery to me. And grenade tastes like heaven and it's nutritionally good for you. It's an actual miracle. My manager told me she listened to this podcast back five times. And that's a, that's a record for guests I've had on this show. So I think that says something. And I couldn't be more excited for you to overhear the conversation I had with Alan. So without further ado, I'm Stephen Bartlett, and this is the Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody is listening. But if you are, then please keep this to yourself. Alan. Hello. Thank you so much for coming today. I've uh, probably overwhelmed you in the last hour since we've been talking with my admiration for yourself and the product you've created. And I think it's uh, it's worth me just starting with this. You're the, the the CEO founder of Grenade, and my my life is pretty overwhelmed with Grenade. We, we also work together in sort of like a, a with a marketing sort of partnership. But um, outside of that, if you go to my hotel room right now and you can't find ten bottles of either drank or yet to be drunk Grenade, then I would be blown away. If you can't find 10 bars of grenade in my hotel room, specifically on my desk, there's more than 10, I know there is, so I'm just saying 10 to be safe, then I would be absolutely blown away. I'm. Are you inviting me to your hotel room? <laughs> because we're on camera. Not quite, no. But, <laughs> Slightly um, creepy. No, but you did, just bring, you did just bring a bunch of grenade bars and drinks with you with you when you came here today, so yes. I will be, they will be making it back to my hotel room. I shall not be sharing. But um, <laughs> you've created a, a tremendous, a phenomenal business, a UK sort of born and bred business in what I consider to be a tremendously short amount of time when I think about the other players in this space. And when I read your story, I think this is the first place I wanted to start. I read that you started with 27 quid in the bank, right? That's right. Well, actually, we started with 500, but it was quickly down to 27 pounds. And one of the questions I get asked all the time, right, is by entrepreneurs is, can you start a business without loads of money? There's this preconception that you need like rich parents or millions of pounds. So can you tell me how Grenade began. Yeah, absolutely. So we'd had, without going back to my childhood and boring everyone senseless, the business that we had, and I say we, because my wife is the co-founder, so uh, my wife and I started Grenade. Um, We had a distribution business, which I started in 1999, just out of my my garage at home. 
And the idea of that was to import uh, American-made sports nutrition products and distribute them throughout the UK. I won't bore you the whole journey of that, but met my wife in 2003. She then came into the business in 2005. By 2008, we got bored of that business and, and, and sold it and um, basically decided to, to, to follow the dream, which was to have our own brand, uh, which, was, which was Grenade. So... Um, yeah, I mean, it's we, we'd spent we spent four years trademarking. So between two thousand six and two thousand ten, we spent four years, which took a lot of discipline um, and time and effort to be able to do. Did everything ourselves. Um, so to date, now we've accumulated over two hundred design marks, trademarks, pending patents. So we locked Grenade down globally mm-hmm. as a brand, which I think is probably the best thing um, that, that we ever did. But yeah, we, we we just had no money to to operate with mm-hmm. in terms of doing anything. So um, we didn't pay ourselves a salary for four years. Uh, we 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 didn't take a day off for four years, so uh, we couldn't afford to employ anyone. But we really, I think, learned quite quickly in uh, you know, the 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 power of doing something with very little money and and, and being very cost conscious. Mm-hmm. So when it came to say doing a, a trade show, for instance, and a lot of our competitors, the big sports nutrition brands, would have Formula One cars in there, and they'd have giant entire booths that took a week to build, and you could pretty much live in, and they cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we couldn't do any of that. So we got a, a friend of mine, and we convinced him to lend us his tank. So we, um, he's he's more eccentric than I am. We borrowed we borrowed this tank, and we drove this tank into this show, um, and we just stole the show. So and that was our booth. So we just we just drove it in. We put like some camo netting over it, and we had some products. And then my wife and I just stood there, and we got like a t-shirt each that we paid sort of six pounds each for or something. <laughs> and just just the two of us. I'm not really sure at what point what we thought we were doing mm-hmm. um, when I look back, but it seemed like a good idea at the time, and then probably was. And at, at that show, we we had there were a few Americans there. This was a British show, and one of these American guys took a picture of our tank and this product, and he, he sent it to the buyer of, of the weight loss buyer for GNC in the us wow. and this guy contacts us and he said, he said i've worked at gnc for 20 years he said i um i see 120 weight loss products a week is and you stood out so at that point then i think we just thought you know what we're onto something here mm-hmm. so um yeah it, it, it's it's certainly i'm sure would have been a lot easier if we did have rich parents i've got far from of rich course. parents but you know it, it's if you've got the time and the willingness to do something then yeah you don't need absolute pots of cash. I think mm-hmm. you just need the, the, the willingness and the ability to go and do something and make a difference. That's actually, that's what we've done. And disrupt. Disrupting doesn't necessarily have to be expensive. It just needs to be disruptive. Mm-hmm. And you, you started that by saying you don't want to take us back to your childhood and bore us with mm-hmm. that. But I, I'm really intrigued into, uh, about your childhood because I think with successful entrepreneurs, there's a bit of a reputation, I guess, that they, they're all bad in school and they're all dropouts and I've been uh, known for saying things like I think university is a scam and so on and my my educational background but uh, what was yours what was your experience like in school and stuff like that yeah so my family had had their own business um said they'd only ever worked for themselves since post second world war they had a heavy goods vehicle mechanics business only just my basically my my dad and my uncle and my granddad and they'd worked exceptionally hard too hard, really, I think, um, and never made any money. I mean, my uncle, for example, you know, he never moved out of home. He never had a girlfriend. He, you know, he nowadays, I think he'd have been someone who was probably prescribed as having, um, you know, definitely some sort of social uh, disorder. He probably never spoke to 20 people in his whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and he worked with my dad in, in this business. And the expectation was I'd go into that business and, 
Um, anyone that knows me, I'm not practical. I couldn't put together something from IKEA with the instructions really? <laughs> and all the parts. I'm not mechanically minded. I, I, I physically just can't do it. And I've just got no interest in how things work. I just want them to work. I don't have mm-hmm. the patience for it. So I was never going to go into that that heavy goods vehicle, you know, the, the family business. But I, I, I think what I learned there was this tremendous work ethic um, that they had. But um, you know, my 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 own my granddad died at work when he was eighty four. He went blind and still went to work because he still didn't have anywhere else to go. My uncle had a stroke and went to work because it's what he'd always done. My dad had had one day off work in thirty years when he had mumps. Um, wow. So they just this amazing work ethic, and I thought, you know, I'm I'm going to work hard, but I want to I want to have something to show for it. And it, not about making money, but they just didn't really have anything to show for it. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, so. I used to go to work with my dad when I was uh, 11 and, and help out, and I, I just hated it. I said I wasn't interested. But I was, from the age of 14 onwards, I was really interested in, in, in weight training because I wasn't interested in any other sports. I wasn't interested in rugby, cricket, football, or any of the traditional stuff. So I was kind of interested in being healthy and doing something, but I didn't know what it would be because, I, I you know, again, my family weren't interested in those type of sports either. So... From the age of 14, I went to a gym on work experience. And in the late 80s, all the big movie stars were Jean-Claude Van Damme, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, it was was a big deal to kind of watch Commando and Predator in the late 80s because it was an 18 and we were like 13. So I remember thinking, I want to look like that because I was really skinny. I was like, I was just under 11 stone at six feet tall. So everyone used to call me Big Al for a joke because I was so bloody skinny. Went went on work experience and and actually my dad and my family were really against it. Like you're wasting your life, um, you know you're uh, you, it's a waste. Because academically I'm fairly clever, mm-hmm. but I just hated school. I just I found it really boring. I couldn't get on with the teachers, and I was just I was probably disruptive. Not in the sense of you know swearing and throwing things around, mm-hmm. but I, I've just always wanted to challenge convention. I remember once the the teacher. She'd, she wrote a word on the board, and I remember the word was Mississippi, and she spelt it wrong. So I remember saying, oh, you've, you've spelt that wrong. And she said, oh, no, I haven't. I said, oh, you have. It's M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-S-I-P-I. And, and well, I was six. You're joking. No, and she, well, I got into an argument with her. Anyway, she went and got, and she looked at the dictionary, I was right. So, and that happened probably quite a lot, where the, the, the teacher would mark something according to the answer. Very often the answer book was wrong. So I, I, I bunked off school a lot. And I pretended I was ill a lot. And because my mum was a bit of a soft touch and, and she knew I wasn't really ill. And I, I, I did kind of muddle through school and I did do quite well. But I started to do A-levels and I thought, you know what, I just can't stand this anymore. And I, I, I dropped out after a year. I got into a big, big row with one of the teachers. I won't tell you what I said, but it got me into a lot of trouble. What did you say? Um, I, <laughs> I started dating a girl when I was doing A-levels who was, again, quite disruptive in the school mm-hmm. and I think I was probably seen as someone who had got quite good potential academically and I started hanging out um, with with her and um, I'd, I'd already discovered I liked going to the gym at this point so there were people there that were a good influence and the people there that were a bad influence but they were all 10 years older than me and I was all of a sudden surrounded by people I looked up to who were a combination of sort of business people, just regular people and, and just generally criminals. Um, and I was I was going to the, the gym and there was this big concerted effort, really, I think, from the schools and my, my, my parents to really stop me going into this environment because they just didn't think it was it was going to be mm. uh, it was going to be good for me. And as they just, they just thought I was going to be wasting my lives, my life. And I um 
I'd been to a, some sort of bodybuilding event, I think it was, on this this one evening. And I um, I went and worked at this event and it made me late on Monday morning for, I think it was biology. And uh, I, I, I missed the class. And I... Um, and uh, I, I, I turned up and the, the teacher collared me and she'd, she'd been dying to have a go anyway because I'd been going out with this girl who she didn't like. And she just said, um, oh, you know, where were you this morning? And the way she spoke to me, she was really quite rude, to be honest. And I said, oh, I'm really sorry. I won't say her name. I said, I'm really sorry, miss. Um, I, uh, I, I, I worked last night and I got in at four o'clock this morning and, you know, I, I didn't get up in time. And I, I was just about to come and see you. I apologise. I missed your class. And she just started lecturing me and telling me off. And I've got a really, really short fuse for this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I just don't like being told what to do. So I did just tell her to F off. And, just <laughs> off. and the... Um, and and she just, she, I can still see the look on her face. She was horrified. And she stood the mouth open. And actually, my form teacher saw and overheard. And she said, oh, you need to go and apologise. I was like, no. Nah. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to be here. I'm not enjoying it. I didn't really see myself getting anywhere. And I, I was just, you know, with no disrespect to anyone else who goes to college, university or whatever, I just knew it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always wanted to do something differently. And if it's perhaps it's like, you know, not liking football and, and rugby and so on. If there's a, a million people or a thousand people or ten people going one way, I just always want to go the other way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, you know, my wife thinks I've got Asperger's. Um, Why does she but, think that? Oh, just because I'm, I'm, I'm quite dyspraxic. I walk into things a lot. So if there's, <laughs> if there's a doorway, and it's even if it's ten feet wide, I guarantee I'll walk into the, one of the door frames. So I'm quite clumsy. <laughs> and I actually learned... I've, I've, I've met another friend of mine recently who's actually very heavily dyspraxic and, and, and his takes the form as well, which mine does, where if I'm packing to go away, it takes me a long time to do it. I can't decide what I need to take, so I try and take everything. Mm. And I have to be really disciplined. Like, I'll go away for four days and I'll take five pairs of shoes, six pairs of shoes or something. <laughs> but it's like, when I think about it, I think you don't need to have, you know, more pairs of shoes than days, days you're yeah. going for. <laughs> and just, I just... It comes back to your point you were saying about potentially decision fatigue you were talking about the other day, but struggling to make decisions. And, and, and I, I get that, like a form of dyspraxia like that. Maybe it's just I'm just pig-headed and awkward. I don't know. But I've just never really seen the point. If you want to make a difference doing something, do you make a difference by doing what everyone else is doing? Or can you make a difference doing by, you know, by doing something that no one else is doing perhaps? So I just decided I just from that moment on, I, I just didn't want to be um, in, in the education system any longer. And I went I went straight. I took the bus from that sixth form straight to the gym I trained at. And I said, can, can you give me a job? And he said, like, your mum and dad are going to kill us if we give you a job. I said, well, like, I've just I've just walked out of college, so I need I need a job. <laughs> and, and they'd got no money either. So they employed me on less than minimum wage. So it was about one pound 80 an hour, I think. And, it, you know, it was this was mid 90s. So I know it's. 20 years ago, but it, it wasn't much. It was about 70 pounds a week. It wasn't a lot then. And mm. I took it and I loved it. And it's one of the best things I ever did. And I did that for four years working so, in this gym. So you, you talk there about hard work and how that sort of runs in your family, I guess, and how you were taught hard work as a sort of a principal or whatever when you were very, very young. One of the, the things I hear often these days, and I'm just going to try and be as, as honest as I can about this, is there's almost this movement that encouraging people to work hard mm-hmm. is bad because it's negative for their like mental health. They can get overworked and overstressed. But when I when I listen to entrepreneurs that I respect, like Elon Musk, they all cite hard work as a clear, controllable advantage. Mm-hmm. And they all cite it as responsible for their success. So I guess in your journey to building Grenade with your wife, how much do you think and how much generally do you think hard work plays a, a role in success? 
I mean, I would say at its simplest form, and I'm not saying this is a, a good idea because I think, frankly, we probably, this is going to sound a bit of a silly thing to say, but I think we probably worked too hard in the sense we probably should have taken a bit of a step back at some point and maybe when you're working in a brand, I think everyone should take time to step back and work on the brand. So we definitely went down a few rabbit warrens and I think with regard to hard work, but I'll tell you what did in it, in its very simplest form, just by working more hours than anyone else was doing, certainly our competitors, you know, not having children, you know, working seven days a week. If we were awake, we were working on the brand. And actually, we, you know, we still are because it's, it's very all consuming. So we never, when you've got your own business, you're never not thinking about it. Apart from when I'm flying, actually, that's why I like flying, because if I'm flying around, I'm hopefully not thinking about my brand because I'm trying not to crash. But, just, just for context, Alan is a pilot and flies his plane. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, and I have been in one plane crash, but not yeah. with me flying. Um, but I, I think because we'd never built a brand before, but we had this work ethic, I think maybe we used hard work as a substitute for, for, for lacking a lot of knowledge. So, you know, there's two of us, we've got no money, we, we know what we want to do. And, and, you know, within a year, we're trading in the US, and there's two of us, and we're working from home. When you think of it, really, it's just suicide. But I think approaching things fearlessly, because we were probably very naive, probably stood us in, in good stead. And actually, I remember thinking at the time, you know, there's going to be no one that's working harder than we are, there's gonna be no one that's got a better brand, there'll be no one that makes better products, we're going to do more sampling, you know, when we hire people, we're going to get the best people, we're going to have the best relationships with our suppliers, we'll have the best relationships with our retailers, we're going to build this amazing trust with our consumers. So, and I think, you know, hard work forms part of that. But I think collectively, I thought if we if we thought about it, we went and did it. Because Someone said to me once, they'd rather, you said, well, you know, you're better off being a has-been than a never was. And I always remembered that because I thought, at least if this all goes horribly wrong, I never want to look back and say, oh, I wish we'd worked harder. Oh, I wish we'd done that. I wish we'd gone to that show. I wish we'd met that person. So actually, we always put just tremendous amounts of pressure on ourselves. And I think it's one of those probably issues I have today, whether it's um, Asperger's or not, where if I think about something, until I've gone and done it, I, I can't get it out of my mind. I don't know yeah. if that's just me or that's mm. probably quite common, but sometimes the strangest of things, nothing, we're not going to run around killing people. <laughs> <laughs> like the thoughts in my head are saying right now, no, but <laughs> I am. Um, so I think hard work for us just meant, you know, getting up, putting the hours in. And I think that's what's been good actually about training for 30 years. It taught, you a re- it taught me a real discipline of putting the weights away, consistency. I think consistency is so important. People never talk about consistency in business, but you know, it's one thing working hard, but how long do you work hard for? A day, a week, mm-hmm. a month, a year? Because what, what does a year of hard work mean? You know, I saw my family work hard the whole life. So for me, I've, I've worked hard my whole life. And I, and I think nowadays people just don't have the staying power perhaps to do that. They get burnt out. And, you know, I've been through stages where I've probably felt pretty burnt out. You probably have as well. But that's where you really takes that discipline, that mental strength mm-hmm. to, to keep going mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, reevaluate things you're working mm-hmm. on or perhaps take a bit of time to do something else. But I'm just one of those people that I can't do something half-cocked. Sure. I'm either all in or I'm all out. I'm mm-hmm. just one of those extreme people. Someone said to me once, he said, Al, oh, you see everything as, a, as, as black and white and there are shades of grey? And I just thought, uh-huh. I, just, I can't operate in the grey, despite sure. wearing all grey, yeah. apparently. <laughs> um, Going back to Grenade, 
I have my own answer to this question, but it's not for me to answer. I think I, I think I want to hear it from you. This the, the business has grown unbelievably. I think it's now the fourth most popular. Correct me if chocolate bar in the UK. That's correct. Yeah, I've, I should I should caveat by saying sure. in in the groceries and in single sales. But yeah, okay, it's, it's yeah it's yeah yeah the technical IRI definition. And you have multiples and multiples and multiples less support and resource in mm-hmm. decades to your name than all of the competitors in that space. So for that to be the case, there must be something unique about the product, about the brand. From your perspective, what is that? Um, I think, I mean, when it comes to a, a brand, I mean, I'm you know, probably fairly eccentric person, as you probably gather by listening to this podcast, but brands are always extensions of, of, of their founders, you know, good and bad. And I think, I think because I care about the brand so much and because my wife cares about the brand and we built this thing that we care about, I think hopefully everyone we come into contact with, whether it's suppliers or retailers or consumers, I hope everyone we come into contact with leaves with a little bit of that. So I think, and actually, you know, if we don't care, why should anyone else? So I think we've built this amazing brand that people really care about. And if people don't care about it, or they don't like it, that's just as good. Mm-hmm. Because for someone not to like something we're doing, they'll still go and tell people, but at least they've got an opinion about it. So I think with Grenade, hopefully it stands for a lot of things that both are hopefully fairly obvious and that's things like taste where people can immediately see taste or or, or benefits of product the early days we always focused on product deliberately where there was um there was an immediate um feeling so weight loss and pre-workouts where people could have it and within 20 minutes they knew they'd had something so because otherwise if you if you have a product potentially so let's say water for instance most people can't tell the difference between water so if you just drink another brand of water do you genuinely think, well, it tastes better than other brand? Most people couldn't tell. So we always try to focus on something where the stuff that we were good at hopefully shone through and, and certainly consumers feeling something was really important to us. And that's still the case now with our bars. I think, you know, our, our bars just taste better than everyone else's. The quality ingredients we use, and everyone says this, but with us it's really true, we, we, we really do go over and above to, to find the best ingredients and the best suppliers. And no one else just seems to bother um, and that's not just in this industry. That's that's in, that's in lots of industries. We spend years on product development, literally years. I spent two years working on our first bar, which was caramel, which we launched in in um, 2015. That was a two year project. The last bar we just launched, which we launched a few weeks ago, which is the white chocolate salted peanut. That was a further 18 month development project mm. just on flavor. So even though we actually had the concept and, and, and bars, just 18 months on, on a flavor. I just don't know anyone that goes to that much into that to that much trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, again, maybe it's the OCD thing or something. I, I you know, I don't know. But it's strange. Whenever we talk to people about the brand, people's faces light up. It just mm-hmm. it just seems to put a smile on people's faces. Yeah. So that's priceless. Mm-hmm. How important was, because I think this sometimes about our business, I think, you know, we were, were at the right place in the right time in, in some respects. But how important was this concept of luck or opportunity, do you think, to your business? Uh, yeah, I mean, I certainly, I would never, ever say we've been lucky. Um, mm. I don't really believe in, in luck per se but I do think if we were to define were to try and define luck it's really just an opportunity meeting preparedness so Mm -hmm. definitely we are having a moment in time 
and and I, I and lots of businesses get this. It, it, it's actually I've talked about this quite a lot. In fact, in terms of timing, you cannot. I, I, I'm pretty sure, as a business, you can't outmaneuver bad timing. Clearly, we've we've in in a, an era where people are more health conscious, certainly younger people. Sugar is is the enemy. I just don't see it changing anytime soon. We've come along with something which is high protein and and low sugar you know, with our drinks and bars. So um, we're certainly helping a lot with that wave by making sure our product is everywhere that we think it should be. So, but yeah, we're definitely having a moment in time. And I, I think, I mean, in some ways, actually, we, we, we've been quite unlucky with some things that didn't come off that were, were quite, quite unlucky. One of which was we had a huge Bollywood star that loved our, our weight loss product. And he was talking about it everywhere and we couldn't get product into the country and it got stuck in customs and, this guy's like his his one of his films in India is it's still the highest grossing film of all time. It's bigger than the Harry Potter movies, and you had like India's a big country. We had a yeah. lot of people talking about it, but there's no product. That was actually quite unlucky, really. Uh, you know, I think potentially. And by the time we got product into the country, like a year later, just the buzz had died down. So we we kind of missed out there. But a friend of mine invented lactose free milk, for instance. Lactose intolerance is quite a big thing nowadays, sure. and it's everywhere. Nearly bankrupt him, he lost a fortune, all got poured away because he invented it in the 1970s and no one knew what lactose intolerance was. Wow. So um, timing's huge. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're never going to turn around and say we haven't had good timing because we have. Then again, you know, the opportunities that we've had through timing, everyone else has had as well, mm-hmm. including a lot of the, uh, you know, the really big players that we compete with. So they've had access to the, the same consumers that, that we have. And I think, you know, if we're going to talk about potentially as disrupting the, the confectionery industry because lots of people now, rather than go and buy a regular chocolate bar, will go and buy one of our protein bars. The When I actually saw the top 10 best-selling chocolate bars in the UK, I was actually quite surprised because we were the only brand that had been launched in the last 20 years. Really? Um, yeah, it just hasn't been disrupted. And if you think of what Uber have done and Starbucks and Amazon and Airbnb, mm. most of these are brands that weren't around 20 years ago. And there's been a lot of disruption in the drinks space and yeah, we've seen it with Fever Tree mm-hmm. and Brewdog, and they've come along with something different or done it better or been a challenger brand. And actually, no one had really done it in chocolate or with food. And I think because most of the brands are so big and powerful that no one had really thought to do it. But again, mm. it's back to that if everyone's doing one thing, I'll go and do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've really managed to disrupt a space quite effectively there, I think. And I guess the the incumbent sometimes gets complacent, right? So definitely, one, one definitely. Twenty year old brands just thinking, well, we're number one, we're number two, we're number three. You know, yeah. we've got our spots. We're in, you know, distributions, key areas, and who's going to knock us off our perch? And yeah. then the wave comes in, and Grenada are there on the surfboard with a great product. Is well, know. that's why a lot of um, we do a lot of NPD, which is new product development. Half of my time is what we call EPD, which is existing product development. So we we are always redeveloping our own product to mm-hmm. make them better because technology change, ingredients change. We're learning all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm a big, big fan of, of learning. The, the minute you're not learning, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm bored. I always want to be learning, which is weird bearing in mind that I hated school, but I wasn't learning mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time doing EPD. My thought, of, you know, if, if I can make my product better, then so can someone else. So I'll do it first. Ah, smart. Disrupt yourself. Yeah, I'm yeah. always disrupting myself. Yeah. <laughs> you you mentioned there that, that the the incident with the Bollywood star where, you know, you had someone talking a lot about you in, um, in another country, but you couldn't get the product there on time. And it felt a bit like a bit of a failure or, or a missed opportunity, shall I say. Mm-hmm. I think that people see entrepreneurship because of like Instagram and movies and whatever else as 
a very rock star, glamorous thing. And of course there is, you know, as you said, you've got very nice cars, you've got Lamborghini, mm-hmm. you've got planes, etc. But what I don't think they see enough of, because we generally tend to shine the light on the finish yeah. line as opposed to the journey, is all of the bullshit that comes before that. Yeah. And all of the hard times and the sacrifice and those things. So could you speak to, I guess, your personal sacrifices and also what your hardest moments were on this journey? Well, I mean, when, yeah, we had some fairly dark, I mean, you know, you do, you do still have, have dark days. And I mean, yeah, this is going to be probably quite a broad answer to this question. Um, people say to me a lot, you know, what's it like? Oh, you're successful. You've made it. Firstly, we don't consider ourselves successful. And I'm probably sure most entrepreneurs never think they're successful because you just look for the next best thing. And that doesn't mean to say that you're never satisfied. It just people say, oh, you know, you've got there. I haven't got there. I don't know where there is. So that's something that, you know, we're always pushing ourselves and it's disrupting ourselves and keeping going. In a way, that's probably quite, quite sad because we don't ever give ourselves probably a pat on the back, um, you know, for, for, for a, a, a job well done. But, you know, the job hasn't been done and having a brand, a brand is never finished. Mm-hmm. So we're always working on the brand and, and trying to improve the brand and the brand evolves. I mean, in, in the early days with, you know, my wife and I, we had, we had a genuine conversation about, you know, us having to potentially losing the house. Um, as, and actually we said, you know, if, if we end up looking you know, at a one bedroom bed sit somewhere together, you know, as long as we're together, we'll, we'll be fine. Excuse me. Uh, so, yeah, re- really hard. Like I said, we didn't have a day off for four years, but we were pretty much, you know, we were in- enjoying ourselves and having fun and, and, and working hard. But, you know, we had the sacrifice of not having children. I mean, that would probably be a, a big regret. That was a conscious decision we made because we, we just didn't really have time for children. And when your wife and you are just both working 24-7, you know, in the business, there's no time for anything else. So pe- people, yeah, don't don't see that. And it's very nice to have nice things, but nice things are the icing on the cake you know it 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 doesn't it's not it's not the 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 cake itself so yeah we've we've had hard times i'm sure there's probably still hard hard times to come but as long as we're happy and healthy and 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 the people around us and stuff are um, are happy and healthy then you know we're hopefully doing good work um but yeah i i wouldn't being an entrepreneur is quite a lonely life it's not an easy life you know very often i'm probably quite probably admire people who can be content in doing something that's perhaps a bit more regular in terms of having a regular job or, or whatever. And they have kids and the family and they go on holiday a couple of times a year and stuff. You know, I sometimes look at that thinking that's probably quite nice because you know what it's like. It's nice getting on planes and going places, but you've always got a thousand phone calls, a thousand emails, wherever you are, you, you're supposed to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to America a lot, but I go for the day, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so it's, I try and make it enjoyable, mm. but a lot of the time it's not enjoyable. It's miserable. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, you're in hotels, you're on your own, you're stuck in traffic, you you know, miss planes, late for planes, planes are delayed. Um, but I just always try and reset at the end of the day and think actually, you know, we're really lucky to be here and doing what we're doing and we're having this moment in time. So I really want to try and enjoy the roller coaster because there's a lot of highs and lows, mm. as you all know. Yeah, and you, 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 I can relate to, to all of that. Um, you talked about they're never really being a there. They're not really mm. being a finish line. So, so what, you know, because I think, I think we're all guilty of living our lives in with this sort of narrative in our heads that we'll just do this this year and then we'll, we'll, we'll stop and enjoy it. Yeah. But as an entrepreneur, what I've gathered from you there is 
you'll never just stop and enjoy it. It's the, no. the industry's changing. Your brand's constantly changing. This isn't a four-term, pl- four-year play, and then you're going to retire and stop forever. So how do you ensure that life is good on the journey, not just in this invisible imaginary by, date in the future by trying to do what you said to do actually on one of your linkedin oh. uh, one of your linkedin episodes months ago right. last year so because because i've actually quoted this quite a lot because it, it right. really resonated with you said this and i think you said i'm going to misquote you now but you said something like don't cut down the rainforest and then donate to the bees yeah 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 and and, and you know what i took from that uh, was actually yeah always looking for that next best thing and trying to get somewhere else. Whereas actually, it's fine to just stop and say, do you know what? I got there. I made it. I did it. Mm. Everything we set out to do, we've done. Which actually, mm. we have, to be fair. But there's a few more things I want to do. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to remember that. You have to constantly say that back to yourself. Because mm. otherwise, you get drawn back in again and think, oh, I'll just do that. I'll just mm. do that. I'll just do that. And, um, yeah, you just you almost want to run out of things to do. But it's never going to happen. When you think about saying to yourself, do you know what? We actually did it. We actually did what we set out to do. And we, 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 you know, we did achieve great things. Do you ever worry that that narrative in your head will make you complacent or less hungry? Because I used to. Yeah, that's, to. do you know, that's my biggest fear. Complacency and boredom. And, you know, I said before, just, just not learning. Just my, my biggest fears. So, oh, it, you know, the day that I'm not at Grenade is is you know is is going to be a strange day mm. that you know that first day if I, whether it's a you know a month a year 10 years 20 years i don't know i know that i'm unemployable so i'm never going to have another job <laughs> um so this is the last proper job i ever have so um I, I would yeah i absolutely fear that and actually that's why um i got back into my flying over the last 18 months because i'm going to i'm going to want to transfer the 70 plus 80 hours a week I spend on grenade, you know, I'm going to want to transfer it somewhere else. So aviation's quite a good thing because I've known people who've been flying for 50, 60 years and they're still getting qualifications and ratings. So, um, you know, I want to go and do my, uh, my rotary licence and, and become a helicopter pilot. So I'd like to have helicopter and fixed wing ratings and, um, and stuff. So I'll, I'll have to go and find other things to do pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, as, as long as I'm at grenade... Um, I would hope we'd never become c- complacent. Um, and I certainly try and surround myself with people that, you know, I don't want to let down, they don't want to let me down, and that, we you know, we all care to the point we go out and do do the, the make mm-hmm. the best decisions possible we can for the brand. Because if we make great decisions for the brand, who loses? Mm-hmm. No one. Um, you know, it's great for us, it's great for the team, it's great for our investors, it's great really for our competitors, you know, put a lot of value in this space. Most of all, it's it's brilliant for consumers. They get great product in, in, in the locations they expect to find it, and it's better for the health. Mm-hmm. I um, You touched on something there as well uh, about investors, mm-hmm. and there was a point earlier you, you referenced about um, what you might do, you know, after Grenade, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that you sold part of Grenade, um, for seventy-two million, we did yes. Valuation. So that's correct. Yes. So that was of March, March twenty seventeen. The last clean valuation we had was uh, Line Capital came in, um, valued the business at seventy-two million. That's um, interesting because you, you had twenty-seven in, in the bank. Yes, that, that's right. It's the exact opposite. Yeah, I know million. it's bizarre. Yeah, from, <laughs> from twenty-seven pounds to seventy-two million. Um, 
Yes, yeah, so Good headline that we'll use that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, de- yeah, definitely use that. Um, so that's yeah, a couple of years ago, um, and they've been great partners. Again, we've learned a lot. They know a lot about brands. They've invested in lots of big consumer brands, which people will know, because you know no one's done this before. So you know, when it was my wife and I, and we're at home, and there's us and four cats. Mm-hmm. You know, and no one's done it before. <laughs> there's no one to ask. There's no path to follow. Um, you just have to go and do what feels right at the time. And, you know, some things we got right and some things we got wrong. But but even then, I remember the first time, for instance, we'd gone into Tesco's and we we found out that the product had gone live in Tesco. This was the thermodetonator, our, our, our weight loss product. And um, it was a Friday evening and uh, we drove out to go to our local Tesco, which is about 20 miles away because it, it was only in the big stores. To go and see the product, and we were leaving the house and driving out of our road at like ten, eleven o'clock at night. And the, the neighbour drove past, and he said, "Oh, where are you going?" And we said, "We're going to Tesco." He said, "To go shopping?" No, we're just going to go and look at our product on the shelf. But he said, "But you know what it looks like?" I said, "Yeah, but we've never seen it on a shelf of a supermarket before." So it was a really weird conversation because mm-hmm. he was quite right, but he didn't really get it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. we still do that. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of course. I, I can't go anywhere yeah. in the world. I'm like, I wonder if we're in there, yeah, and yeah. I go into like. Walmarts and stuff in Canada and we go to quite obscure places and there's lots of places again like out in the Middle East and stuff we can be found and just really obscure places and I've got friends in the forces and they send us pictures and they're like, yeah, we're at this really obscure place in Afghanistan and your products are here. No and, and and so it's um we get we get a lot of pleasure from going out and um and and seeing that. So like I said, it is it's probably like having a grenade's our baby, it's probably like having a child and seeing them, you mm-hmm. know, swim for the first time or something it's probably um or you know walking so when grenade makes his little baby steps of doing something we just get a tremendous amount of pleasure from from seeing that That's um, you know and, and, and we still do so i can't imagine a time where i ever won't care about that or it won't be impactful mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. um so uh, yeah whatever's in the future is whatever's you know is, is going to be in the future but yeah, we, we, we do get a lot of pleasure from going around and seeing products around the world and actually talking to people about it mm-hmm. and I can tell. Put, yeah, yeah. putting a smile on the face. Yeah, yeah. Um, on, the, on the point of, you know, this, this investment from Lion Capital, right? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think a lot of people think, especially when they don't have money, is that money will be the answer to all of their problems. It will make them, you know, exponentially more happy. And once you have money, everything is, is solved. Mm-hmm. Um, Going from a place where you didn't have the money to now having the money, what what can you tell people who are thinking about that? I can tell you that, being brutally honest about it, I have uh, I've not had money and I've had money, and I know which I prefer. Sure, but um, there it's really weird how people think there's a link between money and happiness. How can those nondescript bits of paper with the Queen's head on just make you happy? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's uh, that the I think there's a, the missing link there is it. You know, it you can buy stuff that might make you happy temporarily, but I think really all all having access, having some financial means does. It just gives you options. Um, so you know, you've got the option of maybe having a a, a newer car or a bigger car, or the option of of going on a a, a different holiday, for instance. But um, as far as I remember. Um, and you'd have to say my word for this, but even as a kid, when I was in infant school and I was walking around the school and I was like five, six years old, I remember a teacher saying to me once, Al, you're always smiling. Mm. And, and she actually put, when I left infant school and went to junior school, she wrote some book and she put, keep smiling. Mm-hmm. So I just remember always being happy and we never, ever, ever had any money. As When I was a kid, we never really 
went anywhere, did anything because mum and dad couldn't afford to. But they, they always gave us loads of love. And if they could do something, they'd do it. But they always gave us time. Mm-hmm. Um, more so my mum than my dad because my dad was working all the time. So I didn't really see my dad when I was little because he worked seven days a week. So I didn't really have much relationship with my dad till he was older. But having money just gives you options. It's really got nothing to do with, with happiness. And I think if you're unhappy, you know, having money or, or whatever is, is not the answer. And I think I'll go one step further. I think for people who potentially... You know, you you could win money, you could inherit money, or you could make money. Now, I've made money by hard work, so I've got the gratification of, you know, knowing the value of a fiver. If you win money or inherit money, I honestly can't imagine anything worse. Mm. And I think, I mean, they call it the curse of the lottery, don't they, where people mm. win the lottery. And all of a sudden, you've got people who win millions and millions of pounds, and for the first time ever, they've got options that they never had. Mm. And I think they think it's probably going to be amazing, and I'm sure... For the most part, it is. But then people go out and buy like three helicopters and stuff. And then they realize that actually it's quite a lot of time and effort and work having a helicopter. And they're really expensive things and they go wrong and they depreciate and they're quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. And all their family and friends would change. So I think the the, the nicest thing about the way that um, Jules and I have, have, have built the business and um, we've created value is the fact that our, fran- our friends and family have seen us do it and seen the sacrifice. And, that, and everyone says, do you know what? You deserve it. Mm. You've, you know, the sacrifice you've made. Now, people might say something different behind our of back. Course, but that's... I, I, I don't think they would. If anyone would had ever say, you know, if ever we would ever have a, a, you know, a negative comment about that, it's just people that just don't know us. And, mm. and frankly, I couldn't care less anyway, to be honest. But yeah, if you, if all of a sudden you won the lottery, you know, do you think? most people's friends and family would be pleased because I bet they wouldn't because mm. because jealousy creeps in and I think it's hard to be jealous of someone that's worked hard because anyone can work hard sure it's not yeah, unique yeah. to that one person yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas yeah if you do it via luck mm. i win in the lottery i think people wouldn't like that and i think people would realize how their friends and family would change i always prefer the detail because it mm. gets me thinking i'm going to ask you another question which is just i'm not going to give any context to the question and um, it's a fairly deep question, but I just I just like asking this question sometimes to some people. Are you scared of death? Oh, that's a good one. I don't think so. But ask me ten minutes before I'm about to die. <laughs> um, I don't. No, I don't. I don't think I'm. I'm. Uh, I don't think I'd be scared of it. I've never really been around death much. Touchwood. I'm very fortunate to have close family and friends. Uh, nearby. I mean, I, spe- I guess it probably knows. I guess it's probably how it happens. I mean, you know, if you believe in reincarnation and stuff, I'm probably going to come back as a, a toilet plunger yeah. or something <laughs> if reincarnation is a thing. But I, I, something actually, I I live uh, opposite someone who passed away actually about four years ago who was extremely uh, well known. He passed away about four years ago. Who was extremely wealthy, nearly a, pretty much billionaire, and he had this enormous empire but he never got married never had children and uh i think was actually probably quite a lonely guy i never actually met him because he passed away just after just after we moved in but we'd exchange a few messages but i actually knew one of his close aides and they were there when when he passed away and he'd he'd actually had cancer he'd spent something like a hundred million dollars on prostitutes drink and 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 drugs um but when he passed away he said to this person that was there he said oh how can i leave all this behind but he'd had an amazing life and been around the world done all these sorts of things so i I guess it depends how long 
you know that 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 time period is between perhaps you know you're going to die and 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 you're dying. I mean, I've, I've thought potentially, what's worse? Would you want to, you know, if you had a long drawn out illness, but at least you had time to do things? Oh, I'd is, rather go in my sleep. Would you rather go in my sleep? I think I'd rather go in my sleep and not know Christ, anything about yeah. it. Yeah. I heard Ricky Gervais say the other day after his documentary Afterlife, he said that well, my one wish for humanity would be that everybody could die in their sleep. And yeah, that's actually quite it. a nice sentiment. You know what I mean? Because then it's really the, I think, and this is a bit of a morbid topic, but it's really the process of, I think, knowing that you, you're going to pass that I think is is the cruel part. Because uh, when I think about death, I think, you know, how did I feel 100 years ago? Yeah. That's how I feel when I'm dead. I didn't feel anything. I wasn't in pain. I wasn't lonely. Yeah, I wasn't sad. Yeah. I wasn't depressed. Do you know what I mean? I was just, it's a sense of almost... I think it's what it, it depends what you've done in your life um, and what you leave behind. I really want to leave something iconic in sports nutrition because sports nutrition is my life. I've done it. I've been involved in it since I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. So to to hopefully do something big in an industry I'm passionate about and I love, you know, I, I would like to look back and say, do you know what, I couldn't have done any more. So if I leave something iconic that lives on after me, I think that'd be great. And most people do that through children. But, you know, I'm the last of the, the Barretts. If I must, I've got a sister, but she can't have kids. So, you know, if I don't have children, that's it. We're, we're done. And, you know, we've got generations of, 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 of um, hard workers. So, um, you know, it, it, it's very often think, you know, potentially I'll, I will probably be thinking, oh, you know, we should have children or, or, you know, whatever. So that potentially something could um, could could carry on. Because otherwise as well, what's it all for? Mm. You know, so if if. Most people, again, want to just make sure their kids are okay and look after their kids. But like I said, I can't do that. So I, I've, you know, it's been fairly important to me the last few years to be um, involved in philanthropy in some other ways to try and um, make make things better, um, you know, for the people and people who are less fortunate. Um, so I, I would I would hope that, you know, friends and family around, depending on how many, if I've got any friends or family left at the time, um, I would hope, you know, would certainly look back and just think, oh, you know, he had a, had a great life and worked hard and did everything he set out to do. Because actually, if, if I don't have any regrets. And I think as long as you've got no regrets, then I'd hate to look back and think, oh, we should have done that. We should, mm. you know, we should have done that. So what about you? Are you scared of death? I'm, I'm not scared of death. Um, as long as I do myself justice. Yes, I think okay. the only thing that I, it's kind of what you just said there, like the only thing I'm really scared of is um, regret. And I just, you know, I just want to do myself justice. Mm-hmm. I want to like fulfill my potential is, you know, if that's even a, possible. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, leave a legacy in terms of, in everybody that I encountered mm-hmm. and hopefully they're their kids and their kids and their kids and their kids because of who I was and the way I conducted myself and the value that I brought to the world. Um, it's really if, weird hearing yourself talk about yourself in past tense. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it is really <laughs> Especially strange. when you're like half my yeah. age. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I think I got to, I wrote in my diary when I was, and I've talked about this a lot in this podcast. I wrote in my diary at 18 years old when I was broke living in Gunside or whatever they call it, the where all the gun crime is in Manchester, just after dropping out. And I wrote in my diary that I wanted to be a millionaire, have a Range Rover, and all these things. And then by the age of 25, and I wrote before 25, and everyone's seen my diary, many pictures of it on the internet. I got there and there was this almost anti-climax feeling because I thought, right, I wrote down, I've got achieved everything that I set out to do. 
like I don't know what I was expecting some like marching band to come out and start being yeah. like you've made it like yeah. and throw me da, in da, the da, air da, da. Yeah, yeah but I'm sat in my boxer shorts in my house I'm like I've got to carry on tomorrow so what what do I do now just write more stuff that I want to get and it got me thinking about at like 24 25 years old like what's the point and I think this podcast was inspired by me kind of searching for the point um in it all so that's I think why I asked the question a lot yeah, I've, I um, you're absolutely spot on. I've never really thought of that before, but I think yeah, something that you've really worked hard for and, and looked forward to, and it's something specific, is probably never quite as good when you get there as oh, you never. think it's going to be. Never. Yeah, you're right. What do you actually think it's going to feel like? We, when we um, when we did our first uh, big deal. Uh, with Grenade in 2014 to Growth Point Capital, they came in and, you know, we've, we, the brand's only four years old at that point, but, you know, we haven't had a day off. We're pretty tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they came in and they valued the business at uh, 35 million and, and, you know, we sold half the shares and rolled half the shares. And that was before the bar was even created. So that was just a then it was just sports nutrition product. I remember feeling a tremendous sense of, of weight being lifted off me. But I, I think that was just the pressure of the deal and the roller coaster because mm. they're on, they're off, they're on, they're off. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a very, very invasive thing to go through because someone is actually just backing you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I remember having a conversation and we're great friends still with, uh, with Growth Point. And uh, they're taking a tremendous gamble because they're about to make someone overnight incredibly wealthy mm. and that does weird things to people mm-hmm. and uh, and you can they didn't want to say that because because they can't yeah but I, and i just i actually the night before the deal i said i said you're really you're really on the fence about this aren't you and i said and i, and I said are you worried i'm just going to basically just go off and just start taking drugs and go off the rails because yeah. all of a sudden you know I've, I've got money that wasn't there a day ago or something and he said yeah and i said i can do all that now mm. And I said, honestly, I said, if you're really that worried about it, don't do the deal. I said, let's not do the deal and I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and let's just forget the whole thing. And I genuinely meant that. And it was a lot of money. But it really makes no difference, mm-hmm. you know, other than, like I said, being able to have options and just go and buy stuff. So I didn't really care one way or another whether the deal went ahead. Um, and actually, after we had that conversation, it it was fine. It went ahead. And you know, they backed us to go and do what we said we'd do. Surprise, surprise, we exceeded what we said we'd do because that's what I think hopefully good entrepreneurs do. And, we, you know, we proved to the wider world that Alan and Juliet Barrett were, were backable. Mm-hmm. Next, you know, Lion Capital come along and they didn't hesitate twice to back us of because course. we've got a track record of, sure. of, of being backed. But that's not necessarily the case with lots of these businesses because, yeah, it does funny things to people and people go off the boil and become complacent and... Um, you know, my problem is what to do with all the ideas I've got. Mm. I've actually filled iPads full of ideas. Yeah. I, don't know what, I don't know what else to do. But, um, yeah, you're right. They're having that bit of an anticlimax. So the point I'm making is, is the deal that last that night, um, the deal nearly it got delayed because one of the banks involved just saw Grenade in a transaction and thought that we were arms dealers. So the money got, the money got flagged and held up. So we did the deal but didn't get paid. The money went into escrow. So we, 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 we signed our, half our company away and didn't get a penny for it until wow. that was on the Friday until the Monday when the banks reopened. Um, but we went home and I, had, I literally I had a curry and I had a Cadbury's cream egg because... <laughs> I like Cadbury's cream eggs. I just wanted to treat myself to a cream egg. So that was a really weird way probably to celebrate. Did you celebrate? No, not really. No. That, well, that, was, that was my celebration. I had a curry and a cream egg. But I don't drink. I don't smoke. I had a security business years ago, so I don't really want to go out to nightclubs. I can't, if I'm going to talk, I like to be able to talk. I don't want 
banging music over me and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really do celebrating as such. Not in, not in that way. And I should do, but and that's the, that's what I, I, I kind of learned was that the distance between one accomplishment uh, or one major like sort of life achievement and the next is so so far. Right. And it's almost like I can liken it to climbing Mount Everest. You climb the mountain for, say, I don't know how long it takes, let's say 30 days. And then you spend 10 minutes at the top. Yeah. And and so really like 95 percent, 99 percent of life is, in fact, the climb. And we we are not um, very good for whatever reason as entrepreneurs at celebrating the steps up the mountain because they seem so gradual and insignificant. So I'm trying to actively teach myself to get better at celebrating the journey because as you said earlier the mountaintop for me and probably for you probably doesn't exist no and at some point are you worried about having to come back down um i hmm, hmm as in how would you mean as in like failing or selling out or either still coming back down I, do you know what? The problem is the higher the high, the lower yeah, the low. Of course, the, it's going to be one hell of a fall from the top of Mount Everest. Um, I don't actually worry about failure, and this is probably. I think our businesses are slightly different in a sense because my, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong here. I feel like I, my business, we sell a way of thinking and ideas. It's less tangible. It's less tangible. Yeah, we make stuff. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we're slightly less dependent on. Um, like I guess like distribution and wholes and retail and we haven't got these big boys that are powering over us that can shut us down. Yeah, uh, and that, that that's a bit of a worry. Creep into us. Yeah. So I actually and also because of where I come from, like I you know this business was started like two miles down the road in a boarded up house. Yeah. Right. And I was there for every day of that climb. So the thought of me going, I was happy back in that house. I was as happy then as I am now. Me too. Like 100%. Not in the house because I wasn't there, but the same. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, so, yeah. so if you take me back there, I know I'm going to be happy. And I also know I've got way more of what really matters yeah. in, inside my head than Knowledge. I did when I started. So I'm yeah. like, well, take me back and it'll be quicker and it'll be, and I'll do things so much differently. And I'll just, and I enjoy the journey. The, the start is always, was for me the most enjoyable part as well. So I'm not scared of it. I don't want to go back. No, 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 you don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, I think the, the hustler slightly changes in you. You still work, out of everything, but different type of work. Um, I'm not scared of going back, but I wouldn't want to. No. I, I saw, I've seen a lot of photos of you and Richard Branson. Okay. I well, think, yes, I've thought about it now. Now we have to do yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I don't know Richard Branson, but I've, I've read his books and stuff like that. I feel like you share a lot of traits, specifically with the whole fearlessness thing. Because every time we mention something, even the fact that you fly a plane, you're very just like, right, it's in my head. Now I'm doing it. Yeah. And just um, do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Where does that say. come from? Does that come from somewhere? It's so easy, isn't it, just to be scared of everything and just to do nothing. And, and most, actually, my dad's a lot like this. He worked really hard, and I guess he only worked for himself, so he took risk. But he he would always look at the downside potentially. So um, he never really encouraged me to go and do more. And I, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But you know, if I'd have just gone and been a van driver for him, he'd have just been very happy for me because he could understand that because he, he he could see you do it and he'd know what was involved. Whereas, you know, if I'd say, I want to go and do this, this and this, the first thing he'd say would be, but what if it doesn't work? Mm. And you think, well, what if it does? And I think we probably get that a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's, you don't want to get fearlessness mixed up with just like stupidity yeah, and yeah. being reckless. But, you know, we went into the US, like I said, my wife and I, 
on our own to sell product. The first thing we did before we actually got there, you know, we went to uh, we went to one of the big fitness shows, which was the Mr. Olympia. Went over there as consumers before we took the brand there, just to see what we were getting into. And we went in, so we did that. That was our due diligence. We went in, we thought, what what's everyone else doing? If we rock up and do our thing, and we're going to bring a tank in, and we're going to bring in the best team we can get from the UK, are we going to? make fools of ourselves, you know, and we decided, you know what, there's no one here that scares us. Not in an arrogant way, but you've got to have that sense of fearlessness because if you don't, you'll just never do anything. Mm. And it's just so easy to say no. And then you just say no to everything your whole life. Then you get to regret and think, oh, I wish I'd done that. Mm. I can't think of anything I wish I'd done, (laughs) Mm. to be honest, other than maybe wishing I'd done the same things, but sooner. So, yeah, I'd say to anyone, if you're just going to go and do it, just just do it, you know, what's the worst that can happen? That was a great point. And I want to get more like um, some more advice from you based on your business experience and your success. As a, a young entrepreneur... I'm not successful, remember. Oh, but yeah, as <laughs> yeah. you're... What can we refer to it as? We can say success so far. You've, mm. you've been successful. It's funny. The I journey this, so far. The journey so far. From your journey so far, what are the key things, pieces of, of advice you would give to an aspiring entrepreneur, someone sat in their bedroom right now listening to this with an idea that they've been considering, but they're umming and ahhing. What would you say to them? You're speaking right into their ear, sat in their bedroom or on the train or at work. What would your advice be to get them to go from thinking about something, umming and ahhing, to where you're sat right now? I mean, for me, I mean, I said, just said, you know, just just do it, but commit to it. Don't don't half do it. I can only speak for myself, and it you know it depends what the idea is and what the person is like, and what the downside could be if it all went horribly wrong. So but, let's let's play a game. I've never done this before. I'm going to pretend to be that person, okay, and I'm going to rebuttal you, okay. okay, and I'm basically going to rebuttal you with everything that I hear in my direct messages and emails. Okay. So you've just told me just to do it. I'm going to say, well, um, I'll do it like next year because um, like I don't have enough money right now and I need to pay my rent. And I'm also, my mum has told me that, uh, you know, she needs help because she's got uh, an illness. So I need mm-hmm. to provide for her. So okay. How will circumstances be different in a year's time? How will you have more money or time uh, a, a year from a year from now? Um, I feel like I'll be is, ready then. Okay. But you, so you're not ready now? I don't feel like I'm, I'm ready now. Okay. I mean, it sounds like you don't want to do it. So if you don't want to do it, you shouldn't do it. Mm. But but I do really want to do it because I've, I've seen, you know, a lot of... Have you got time to do it? I mean, I, I work a full-time job in a call centre. Okay. So you've got your evenings and you've got your weekends. So mm. you can make time if you want to do it. Is there a way you can do it so you can test the water somehow? Can you do it somehow part-time? Could you involve your mom in the business somehow? Is it something that she could help with? Um, maybe it's like I want to start a uh, hairdressing salon. Okay. So it's probably going to be hard to do it in the evenings and weekends. I really, really want to do it though. Okay. But I can really people come it. to you evenings and weekends, or can you go to them? Can you be mobile? Does it have to be a physical site? Rather than commit to a physical site, can you build up a, a client list and go to them and do an amazing job and get them to tell their family and friends so that you can go to them as well and actually build up a, a client list so then you can have your own location then people come to you? Is that a possibility? I just don't know where to start. Okay. Are you cutting anyone's hair at the moment? Um, I do my sister's and her friends. Okay. And so she's got friends. So how many people, how many clients is that? About There's about there's eight girls in total. There's about eight. Okay. Yeah. So you're doing that. And do they come to you or do you go to them? I go to their houses. Okay. Like and that's evenings and weekends? Weekends predominantly, yeah. So do more of the same. You, or, mm. You're already doing it. 
Mm. Now you just need to expand it. But look at it the other way. What does good look like? What's the dream? What would you like to have? I want to own the the biggest luxury salon chain in the country. Okay. I just don't know where to start because I've, I'm cutting their You've hair. You've got to start by cutting hair and not working in a call centre. Yeah, I'm, I'm cutting their hair, but I've only got so many um, so much time on the weekends. So, and also ah, like, so hang on a minute. So what else do you do at the weekend? So what's more important at the weekend than now than you taking a step towards your dream of having the, 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 the let's say, global chain of hair salons? What, what else are you doing at the weekend? So you wake up, it's Saturday morning. Mm. What are you doing all day? You've got all day to do whatever you want. Netflix. Netflix. Okay, there you go. So you do have time. You just choose to spend that time doing something else. But now there's just excuses creeping in. Mm -hmm. So do you have time to brush your teeth every day? Yeah. Okay, so you find time to do that. So you, 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 there's nothing wrong with starting off small. Everyone starts off small. I started off small. When I had my distribution business back in 99, my first sale was five pounds. I lost money on it. I drove a box of flapjacks. Mm -hmm about a seven or eight mile round trip in the back of my car to to leave it in a gym for him to pay me two weeks later. So mm-hmm. I had to make wow. two trips to make five pounds. But that was the first way I got my first gym mm-hmm. and I ended up supplying hundreds of gyms. Mm-hmm. You have to start somewhere. Everything you do from this point on should be a step towards that goal, no matter how small. Because at the moment, working in the call centre and watching Netflix is not a step towards that goal. If you want that financial freedom, you want to change change your life, only you can change it. It's not going to change around you. Mm. I, yeah, I think that's brilliant. Um, I, I, I don't think that. I talked you into it. No, I, no but... He's, you, I'm going to come back. You know, he's going he's gonna, he's gonna to be a hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that's, that's literally... You probably all have a job now. But that's literally the narrative that I hear all the time is I, I really feel like I want this thing, right? But I think you've hit the nail on the head actions don't align with the goal yeah they don't and it's so frustrating it is yeah let's rewind 10 years so Mm. we're doing the podcast i haven't started grenade yet okay so i come to you and i go right i want to uh, i want to make a fat burner product but i'm going to put it in a grenade bottle so it really really stands out but Mm -hmm. the bottle doesn't exist so i've got to go and make it and then there's only me and my wife. We haven't got any money, but we've got four cats and we work really hard. Mm-hmm. But we're going to do that. But the, really the end game is, well, I want to take on Cadbury's and I want to then learn and we want to supply the military and we want to have fat burners. Then we want to take mm-hmm. all the fat burner technology and we're going to make protein bars. Mm-hmm. And no one's eating protein bars. Though, and we're going to make everyone eat protein mm-hmm. bars. So and we're going to put them everywhere. And all the locations where you'd never find a protein bar, we're going to put them in there. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to love it. Mm-hmm. We're going to go all around the world. And it's not going to make any sense, but we're going to make an absolute fortune and someone's going to come in and pay hundreds of millions of pounds for it. Mm. You'd probably go, Al, what are you smoking? I would have definitely not invested. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have been but wrong. I would, I, would, I would have been wrong and I definitely wouldn't have invested. I think I would never have discouraged you at that point because my belief was something I'm bigger like than that. You. You're bigger than me, significantly <laughs> bigger than me. But also, I in my head, the first thing my brain thinks is, it doesn't really matter what you've said to me you're going to accomplish in that case, right? Yeah. All it, all that matters is you. And I don't, I, at that point, I wouldn't have known oh, you. Oh, I didn't know you cared. No, but do you know what I'm saying? I'm saying like, th- that's a huge ambition. And the, the pattern that I've seen with successful entrepreneurs is a lot of them have big ambitions. And at the end of the day, it just comes down to the person. Do you right? know what? I was so, just, while you were saying that, one of the best attributes anyone can have over and above education, mm. financial means, just about luck, I think just about anything else I can think of, personality. Mm. How many times do you meet someone? 
because actually I, I, I'm just me, like you're just you. So you don't, mm-hmm. you, you kind of take it for granted because, you, you know, we're, we're, yeah. we're us. But actually, when I meet people I've known for 20, 30 years um, and they go, oh, we always knew you'd do well, no matter what you did, because I'm just the type of person to go out and make it mm-hmm. work because I'm determined and irrational, lots of other things. But personality goes a long way. And that's actually one of the things I learned from working back in the gym, um, you know, back in the day, 20 years ago, um, is personality goes a long way. And I think, you know, having a decent memory. And, you know, we had 500 members. I knew everyone's first name. Really? <laughs> and that's really important to people. And it's good just for, you know, to learn and memory is important. But you could see what it means to people, the fact that you've taken the trouble to know the name. And I think some of the things I learned there, you know, for free, um, interacting with people, learning what people like, don't like, all this stuff we actually put into the brand in some of the simplest forms Again, firstly, making it really memorable because all the weight loss products at the time would all got really silly names that no one could remember. Mm. So having something simple. Um, all the competitors at the time were like 12 capsules. Well, we knew I knew from talking to people in the gym that people forgot to take capsules or just didn't like taking capsules. We thought, well, why is it 12? Why don't we make it four? Mm-hmm. So... Um, it's just back to that point of learning all the time. But yeah, personality. Personality is so key. My take on that um, and why personality would be so key is because, as I've said a few times, the only thing that really exists um, in the world is other people. Like mm-hmm. there's not like physical barriers that are going to stop you from being successful. In, in my mind, it's just a bunch of people that you have to convince of your uh, of your, your your ideas or your products or get to love what you've created and so personality kind of links to the um the mover of these human obstacles which is like sales being able to sell yeah. a product your brand and personality as i can see from you if you walked in and i was the the managing director of tesco because of your enthusiasm and your love and your like your energy i'd be pretty into i believe in them what you were telling me i, I think and there's that, that that's definitely hopefully the first win is pretend, i'm not saying i'm likable but hopefully being likable or even just mm-hmm. being memorable if you're not likable just being memorable but I, and i think then quickly followed up with doing what you said you'd do mm-hmm. and doing it well or again yeah just exceeding expectations and actually that conversation has actually happened with um with tesco recently where we've now got a it's probably a six-year relationship with them. And stuff that we said we do, we've gone and done, and we've done it better than they thought they'd do. Now we've got some credibility with them, and actually, more importantly, some trust. And trust is one of those really infallible things that it's either there or it's not. Because mm. people say, oh, yeah, well, I trust him 90%. You don't trust them then. Because mm. you can't trust someone 90%. It doesn't make any sense. You either do or you don't. Mm. It's back to my black and white thing again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, and actually, they said, you know what? If you say you'll do it, you'll, you'll, you. you'll, yeah, you'll go and do it. On that point, how... Because that sounded a lot, and I know what people, I think some people will be thinking, oh, that sounds like visualisation, you know. And it's a big it's a big term in self-development and personal development, this, this idea that, you know, you can think something, you can um, want something. And people, I've literally had, I'll tell you a story that no one knows, right? I was in the back of a cab. Everyone's about to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was in the back of a cab in New York, and I'm talking to this girl that I've... Um, that I just started talking to. This was a couple of years ago. And sat in the back of the cab 
and she's asking me like you know how I created the business and things like this and I'm just like you know hard work etc and she goes yeah you willed it into existence and I go what, what do you mean by that she goes well you can think about something mm. and if you just really want it it happens and I was trying to explain to her that that's not exactly like how it goes like, you can't well, she think did. <laughs> she literally said to me you can think something into existence you can think about it and then it appears and I went what with like out all the heart she was like yeah I got out of the cab I got out the cab in the middle. We had this massive argument in this car because yeah. she genuinely believes you, if you just think about something, you can make it happen. And I got out the cab in the middle of the, the street. No, wait, this is wrong. She got out the cab. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe no, it was really crap. Yeah, like- I chased after her and I got her back into the cab because I didn't want it to be like unsafe. But it really frustrates me, this idea that you can just think about something. And there's this book called The Secret, which has kind of influenced people into thinking in this way. So I wanted to get your take on that. I, uh, it reminds me of, and, and I, I, I'm not really, I don't read many books because I don't really have much, uh, that much time. So I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say. But there's a lot of these kind of, I'm not into self-help books and all mm. these. And that sounds like it's along that mm vein of yeah just think about it and it'll happen and positive thinking now don't get me wrong i do think negative thoughts are probably toxic so you should try and avoid them and try and have positivity but yeah you know positivity is great but it's not going to get you out of you know lots of um um situations there's been a lot of this uh you know like four hour work week and take control of your life and you can make millions of pounds but you only work three hours a year and all that <laughs> stuff and i think i just don't get that uh, at all I, maybe it's just what I've been exposed to on me, but I don't know anyone who has built a meaningful business. No matter how, and I'm not talking about in terms of size, whether it's you know your local butchers or, or you know a, a global media business that hasn't put in a lot of sacrifice and hard work, and and had the timing and the tailwinds that we talked about. Um, I can't think of one. I can't think of someone just woke up one morning, had an idea, didn't really do it very well, and then all of a sudden it was just John Ormus. They made loads of money, and then everyone lived happily ever after. <laughs> I just don't think that's happened. Mm-hmm. Even if you look at the likes of Amazon and the st- stories of Jeff Bezos, like in his first desk was his off his like a door and yeah. all and all this. And surely, yeah, I just yeah, I, I, when people start talking about the power of positive thinking and self help, and they take away all the things we talked about, like consistency and timing and hard work and stuff yeah I'd, I'd rapidly tune out as well to be honest so yeah. I think I probably would have uh, I wouldn't have let her back in the cab <laughs> I'd let, let her take her chances in the Bronx <laughs> it's, it was, it was, it's so frustrating um, I, I again I completely agree I believe that positive thinking and knowing where you want to go matters but then I liken it to like getting in a car you, you set the sat nav but then you turn the key and drive yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So just yeah, setting the yeah, sat nav yeah. leaves you in the garage do you yes. know what I mean? So, yeah, it does. Um, I think we might have been separated at birth. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's entirely likely, definitely. Yeah. But no, that's it. I mean, like you said, yeah, if you're just standing still, yeah, you, you're learning nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it comes back to that learning piece again and, 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 and just doing it, really. Um, so we'd always really try and um, in, encourage that. And I think as well that... I get asked to look at and invest in lots of businesses. And so far, I haven't actually invested in any businesses because, first of all, they mostly want some time, which I don't have. Um, I don't necessarily see that many people who I think are potentially that investable. And I think nowadays as well, because crowdfunding's been a thing mm. and people, it's probably easier now than ever to obtain funding or obtain money, even if it's just the three Fs, fans, fr- friends, family and fools. Um, to get to invest in you. But people almost go off and start investing money, but they don't actually use their own money. 
Mm. But they don't take a risk on their own money. And someone said to me years ago with business, you know, I've always used my own money. It's always been my risk. It's been on me. If it went wrong, it hurts me and no one else. Um, and and it, that I think now is quite rare. rare. Yeah. People do like to go and borrow money from as many mm. people as they can. But then if it doesn't work, it just... It doesn't what, hurt what, them, what yeah. I, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't hurt them. So, you do need people to have skin in the game. And businesses I've looked at um, over the last few years, they just don't have enough skin in the game. If it, you know, there's almost no incentive for them to do well. Mm-hmm. We had to do well mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because we put everything into it. There was there was there was no going back. And you know, if if I had to go and dig holes in the road for ten pounds a day, I'd just you know hand me the shovel. Mm-hmm. I'd just I'd, I'd start digging. I'd finish the day with ten pounds more than I started with. Yeah. And at least while I'm doing it. I'll be thinking, I'll be learning. Yeah, yeah, I'll be yeah. thinking, I don't do this for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How can I not dig holes for £10? Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I get the fact people get caught in in um, in, in ruts um, and stuff as well. But, yeah, people should be holding themselves accountable, I think, for if it goes wrong. Yeah. How does it hurt them? Mm. We can talk all day. Yeah. <laughs> I've, let, me, let me ask you one more question then. This is more of a, again, a little bit of a game. Dinner party. Question okay. I ask a lot of people. There's six seats at the table. Two of them are occupied by myself and you. Okay. There's four seats remaining. I'm not sure to invite you. Um, <laughs> well, it's my house. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, okay, so we've got no choice. Yeah. I thought it was my dinner party. Fine, but I'm cooking. <laughs> You're cooking. Uh, so ordering the delivery or Uber Eats. There's four seats remaining. You okay. can invite anybody to, the, to those seats, dead or alive. Um, I'm going to make a few rules. You can't, unfortunately, uh, invite your wife on this occasion. Okay, fine. Because... Um, She's vegan. She's vegan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and you're, cook, you're cooking steak. Yeah, it's she's not vegan. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Oh, she's not. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> but you can invite anybody dead or alive. Who would you invite and why would you invite them? Okay. It's very hard to do this game because it's a, I've put you on the spot there. So what I tend to advise is just like, what are those names that popped into your mind? Yeah, yeah I mean, you start to gravitate towards people that I, 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 I know, I like and I respect. Um, I would... Uh, I I definitely ask Richard. I'd ask, I'd ask uh, the big man, Mr. Branson, um, just because I never ever ever get bored of talking to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know he's got fifty years of business business experience, mm-hmm. and he's just a thoroughly bloody nice bloke. So. What have you learned? From, what's the one thing you've learned from him? Um, oh, I mean, definitely about being yourself, and again, humility. Um, he has got this amazing energy that. Anyone is around him just picks up on it. It's mm-hmm. on it. It's incredible, um, and just the fact that he really cares. Mm-hmm. He really, really cares. So um, I've seen him. You know, he's just genuinely concerned about people. It's actually it's it's quite miraculous to watch because they say don't meet your idols, don't they? Because yeah, you'll be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. But. Um, yeah, he he goes far and above what you'd actually your wildest dreams, what you'd expect as one of probably the world's best known people and most successful people. But again, he doesn't consider himself successful, and um, frankly, I just don't know how he does it. I don't know how he crams everything in, and um, that's quite remarkable. So definitely him. Um, I would one of my first early mentors that no one's going to know, but I was actually a guy called Stuart Sapcut. And uh, I used to train Stuart when I was 15, 16 years old. I was, a, I was his personal trainer. Um, and again, he taught me, and he, and he doesn't, he didn't know he did this, but again, wildly successful guy, very, very uh, low key. So no one would have heard of him. Big property development business. Again, really, really nice guy. And he just always looked after me and sort of treated me mm-hmm. like a son, really. Got lots of good advice. Always very honest. And again, I saw, 
again with him i think how to treat people i think and how to behave so he he was a um a, a great uh, mentor still kept in touch with um him and his wife so i i'd, I'd invite him and again him and uh, him and richard would get on mm. um in terms of other people these are going to sound really obvious i i'd have to i'd have to invite jeff bezos really yeah i'd have to invite jeff bezos what do you admire or like about him uh, I mean, again, I think just the ability to disrupt, transform. Um, I mean, I learned this week, for instance, all the things they've done that have failed, and there's a lot, and mm. they've they've spent billions on stuff that's failed, mm-hmm. and just the ability to just fail quickly and 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 plow on um, and disrupt and put the consumer first. And again, you know, starting off with an idea of just selling books, and then now it's just everything. it's everything. Fifty percent um, of U.S. commerce. Or something oh, it's really. it's just insane. Um, and doing that in like twenty twenty five years, I mean, it's it's Ridiculous. pretty it's pretty spectacular. Um, you know, don't know what he's like as a person, and well, I don't know if you like your cooking. Um, no, probably not. But no. I think it'd be very interesting to get into the the mindset. And again, I like to meet people and see what they're like because mm-hmm. if you write, if you read a a book, for instance, been ghost written by someone else, you never That's really know. Yeah. You want to look in someone's eyes, don't you? And mm-hmm. just you, that 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 emotion, you just, mm-hmm. you, yeah, you, you pick up on that. So. I'd, I'd invite him. I'd just be interested in what makes him tick. Plus, him and Richard would argue about space because they're big space yeah, competitors. Like so that would be fun. So, so if the food was bad, yeah, we yeah. could literally <laughs> sit, sit back and just watch the two of them just tear chunks out of each other. Which, again, actually Richard wouldn't do because he doesn't get annoyed. I don't know, if, don't know if Jeff does. But I think watching them have an intellectual, competitive spark, comp- conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, would be good. How many have I got left? I've got you, me. I've got, I've got one more seat. Okay. Um... I'm going to tell you now. Go on. I would like it to be a female. I was just going to say it's going to be a woman, isn't it? Um, and it can't be my wife. Oh, that's cruel. Because, uh, yeah, she's very entertaining as well. Um, do you know what I'd do? I'd, in, I'd invite my mum. That'd be interesting. I'd bring my mum. Just because um, she wouldn't get a lot of the conversation, but she's really lovely. Mm-hmm. And um, Stuart likes her. Mm-hmm. I think Richard would like her. Um, and I'd like her to sit back and be proud. Mm-hmm. I think I'd really like her to be yeah. proud. So, so I think we'd like to um, eat your food, and then and then I don't think it'd probably sink in with her. But if we sat there, you know, with with her son and Sir Richard, Richard. and a few other people, she wouldn't know Jeff Bezos. No. Was. <laughs> That'd be quite funny because she'd say, "Oh, so what do you do?" <laughs> and and and, and yeah, 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 and he'd say everything, and and, and he'd go. I own, a, I own a, a website or whatever. She'd go, oh, it'll never take off. Or what, what if it doesn't work? That's what she'd do, yeah. And we'd all be laughing. Um, and she'd carry on anyway. Um, and my mum's a very, very, very slow eater. So mm-hmm. it would be a very long dinner yeah, conversation. Dinner, so hence we'd get maximum benefits out of, out of everyone else there. What's your mum taught you? If there was one thing you think, because I can think of, when I think of my mum, there's the overarching lesson I think that she taught me. What's the one thing that you think your mum taught you? De- definitely hard work. Hard work um, yeah. yeah, real Same grafter, you know, compassion, um, you know, really uh, caring. Um, and, you know, did, did a, again, did a, a great job of raising me and my sister with just, you know, very uh, little means at her disposal. Um, and I remember saying, weren't you, you know, we were having quite a hard time as a family. And she said, you know, if she had to work her fingers to the bone, she'd, you know, she'd make sure we we're okay. So, and, and, you know, when I was 12, I really wanted like a, a Sega Master System, like it was mm. the computer system at the time, which I actually just went and rebought um, 
a couple of weeks ago. Yet. It's like 30 years old and it still works. But uh, I went and because I, I sold mine, which I regretted. So I'm buying back my childhood stuff. Uh, so I went and bought another one. But, you know, she she went back because she couldn't she couldn't my mom's got quite poor health she's got osteoporosis but she actually went back to work to save up to buy me that games console for yeah for when i was like 12 so i'd like to say i felt bad at the time but i probably didn't but i feel bad now Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Mm -hmm. um it's fine i bought them a bungalow so it's fine yeah i swapped a games console for a bungalow so they've got they've they've got a bungalow (laughs) endorsement um so um i did that but yeah i'd like to think i've made uh made made them proud but the thing is mom and dad as well are proud of no matter what i did all mom's ever said is i just want you to be happy Mm. so and because i've always been happy she's always been proud so Mm. as as long as long as you're happy but um yeah so there you go there's the six that's great thank you um so much. Many of the people you'd invite to the table are the same that I'd invite. I'd definitely invite Richard and uh, you know, Jeff I hope you don't sure. invite my mom. Probably not. I don't know well <laughs> That's enough, slightly weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff and Richard, definitely. Um, and yourself, of course. Obviously. Um, yeah. Genuinely deserve all the success that you've had, even though you won't admit you've had oh, success. Oh, thank you. Um, and, if, and it's good to know that people like you are, are getting what they deserve out of life because that's not always the case. So but thank you again for, for taking the time to come up here because I know how busy you are. You're much busier oh, no, than so I, am, I, so. I really wanted to make it a priority because, you know, likewise, and I, um, I, I, I'm not one of these... I don't tend to follow many people that I don't know I haven't met, but every time I see some of your stuff on um, LinkedIn, whatever, I always watch it because it's always profound and it gets back to that learning piece. I always want to try and think, you know, I want to... I wanna, learn stuff because very different businesses mm-hmm. different stages in um careers but we'll have a lot of the same issues and problems sure. so it's really interesting to learn so again uh, thanks for the invite it really means a thank lot. you so much thank you thank thanks. you one decision away from taking your business to the next level and a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems, because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, 
and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.